0: St. Paul says that the law in the Old Testament was like a custodial guide, a pedagogue, someone who sets boundaries around us to ensure that we live in peace with one another. However, in Christ, St. Paul argues that we no longer need this custodial guide. So how will we overcome our violent tendencies? How do we live in peace with our enemies? And why would St. Paul claim that this breaks down divisions between people? The bottom line? Because the Gospel has revealed our tendency towards violence and the true intent of the law, to love our neighbor, which ensures peace within the community, we no longer need the law as a custodial guide, a pedagogue looking after us. You're listening to The Way with Father Dustin Lyon, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. One of the most difficult things for us as Christians is to grasp this relationship between the law and the gospel. And this difficulty has led to different explanations. For example, in Lutheran churches, the preacher will often structure the entire sermon around the law and the gospel. A good friend of mine, Sam Geary, who teaches homiletics at Wartburg Seminary in Dubuque, explains the Lutheran's view. Quote, Law is God's no to our human tendency to seek wholeness and life in that which cannot give life, idolatry. Gospel is God's yes, the open arms of God's mercy and love for sinners that are the arms of Jesus stretched out on the cross. End quote. In other words, the law and the gospel work together while, at the same time, oppose each other. There's a no. While the other one is a yes. But according to Geary, you need the no, the revelation of our sins, before you can have the yes, the experience of grace. In Galatians, Paul explains the relationship between law and gospel using everyday imagery. He says But before faith came, we were held under guard, under law, kept imprisoned for the faith that was about to be revealed. Thus the law has become our custodial guide to the anointed, so that we might be proved righteous from faithfulness. But the faith having come, we are no longer under a custodial guide, for you are all God's sons through the faithfulness within the anointed one, Jesus. That's Galatians 3, 22 through 26 My guess is that many of my listeners aren't extremely familiar with Roman private life, let alone how custodial guides worked. In the first century Roman world in which Paul lived, the custodial guide would have been a common feature of the Roman household. The Greek word for custodial guide is pedagogos. This is where we get our English word pedagogue. However, be careful of cognates. The English word means teacher, especially a strict one. But here, the pedagogue, our custodial guide, was more of a nurse who acted as a parental figure. When a Roman child was born, either a boy or a girl, it didn't matter, the child was handed over to a wet nurse. She, along with the custodial guide, was responsible for raising the child, making sure that the child learned to read and write, and protecting them on their way to school. In addition, the custodial guide wasn't a paid servant. Instead, they were typically a slave. Today, this is typically the responsibility of a parent. The parent raises the child, teaches them to read and write, and makes sure that they go to school. But don't be fooled. The custodial guide was not a 21st century American parent with their parental theories. The custodial guide was not afraid to use the whip were other forms of punishment to teach the child. This slave, rather than the birth parents, formed the child's nuclear family. For example, children typically spent time and ate with their custodial guide, rather than their parents, with whom they would only dine in the evenings at ceremonial dinners. This bond between child and custodial guide was also a lifelong bond, Later in his life, the Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius spoke highly of his father, adoptive father, and custodial guide. Claudius, on the other hand, hated his custodial guide because he used the whip freely when Claudius was a child. Nero murdered his mother with his custodial guide, and at the end of his life, as he was dying, it was his custodial guide who was there to comfort him And after he died, it was she who wrapped him in his burial shroud. Stoic philosophers said that it was natural and reasonable for children to love their mother, their nurse, and, yes, their custodial guide. So a custodial guide was an essential feature of Roman society when Paul wrote Galatians. And he sees the law as a sort of custodial guide. But why would one be needed? The scriptural premise is that all societies and cultures are founded upon violence. The first real culture found in Scripture is the one founded by Cain. He's the one who first builds a city and names it Enoch, which in English means dedicated. In other words, he names it after himself, just like he did with his first son. They were dedicated to him. This is a scriptural way of saying that all cities, or societies, are made in the same image as Cain. But Cain was a murderer. He had murdered his own brother, Abel. If we think about Roman society, we find the same thing. Rome was founded after Romulus murdered his brother, Remus. Both of these are examples of what we call enemy twins. We'll come back to that in a minute. Kingly dynasties also operated through violence. One king usually rises to power after killing off the previous king. This is Byzantine history in a nutshell. Even Saint Constantine built his empire through war and murdering his family members to ensure his power. The point is that violence is the foundation of human culture and society, and it's perpetuated through human conflict. So, according to Paul, we needed a custodial guide to look over us to curb this violence. This was the function of the Mosaic Law. If we want to use a contemporary example, we can think of recess. In school, kids love to go and play during recess. However, kids being kids, violence often erupts. Perhaps it's a dispute over the rules of tag, or perhaps Johnny is picking on Susie. Or maybe Billy just gave Jimmy a dirty look. Who knows? Whatever it was, violence breaks out and the kids start to fight. However, a teacher must be the law, a custodial guide, and step in to enforce the ground rules. No fighting on the playground. The teacher has to set the boundaries between what is acceptable and what is not, or there'll never be peace at recess. Sometimes... If you're acting badly enough, the teacher will have to put you in time-out. In biblical language, the teacher has put a curse on you. No longer are you allowed to enjoy the privileges of recess. You're stuck sitting on the bench, exiled off the playground. So the teacher is like the Mosaic Law, setting the boundaries of what's right and wrong to keep a lid on the violence. But let's take a deeper look at what sort of boundaries are needed. Now remember, I mentioned enemy twins. Boundaries also function to prevent such relationships from forming. Here's how that works. Conflict in human societies is formed by what's called mimetic desire. This means that we desire to be what someone else is. As we get jealous of someone, we become more competitive with them. Eventually, this competition turns into conflict. Cain was jealous of his brother Abel and murders him. Romulus was upset with Remus, and that conflict also ended in violence. But one key point to this is that the person you usually become jealous of is a peer. For example, a plumber won't care about an engineer. But if another plumber is doing better business than the first plumber, then watch out. A conflict may rise between the two of them. To look at it another way, the boundaries of the law set up hierarchies. This ensures that people aren't peers or enemy twins. This limits jealousy and the desire to be what the other person is. It's only when we see someone as a peer, and we think we can accomplish what they've accomplished, that there's potential for conflict. If someone is out of our peer group, then we typically don't see them as a threat. So, in essence, the law sets boundaries to curb this human violence. But Jesus reveals the true intent of the law, which isn't just to draw boundaries around particular behaviors. Instead, the intent is to promote harmonious relationships within a community. We call this revelation the Gospel, loving God and neighbor. If everyone were to live by this intent if they were to walk the way, there wouldn't be a need for the boundaries created by the law. There'd be no need for a teacher on the playground because everyone would be looking out for everyone else. Johnny and Susie would have no problems whatsoever playing together. This would truly be loving your neighbor as yourself, as Leviticus says. If people actually lived the way, legal prescriptions would be irrelevant, so long as everyone keeps from fighting one another. This is why Paul says, in light of the Gospel's revelation, we're no longer under a custodial guide, and this is why there are no longer any boundaries. Because if we are loving our neighbors as ourselves, and if this love includes our enemies, as Jesus taught, we no longer need to worry about enemy twins and conflict within peer groups. In fact, it's no longer necessary to even think about divisions within society. This is why Paul is able to say there can be neither Judean nor Greek. There can be neither slave nor freeman. There can neither be male and female, for you are all one in the Anointed One, Jesus. That's Galatians 3.28. But walking the way of the gospel is hard. In fact, we often set up divisions in society precisely so we can incite conflict and violence. For example, if I put up a division between me and someone else, it's easier to see that other as an enemy. And if they're an enemy, it's easy to ridicule them and persecute them. Likewise, if we're able to label someone as an enemy, then we can justify our hatred and violence. After all, isn't that what enemies are for? Plus, we can feel good about ourselves. We feel good when we can really give it to them. This is why politics is so popular. We divide ourselves between Democrats and Republicans. Our side is the heroic side that has all the facts right. But the other side? Well, if we let them win, the country will go down the drain. We'll all be imprisoned somehow. Human society and culture is built on this sort of violence. The same thing happens, unfortunately, in religion as well. For example, Orthodox Christians have set up a boundary between us and the Turks, precisely so that we can denounce Turkey for using Hagia Sophia as a mosque again. We've made it a political game. It's us versus them. And sadly, we're taking note of which organizations, countries, or denominations side with us. Or which one side with them. But the very moment we justify violence against our enemies, we've violated the Gospel, we've broken the peace created by the Gospel, and we've become agents of violence. In Greek, the word for the one who divides is diavolos, literally, the one who breaks apart. The sad reality is that our society and culture continues to have violence as its foundation, because we've defined ourselves over and against the other. But the Gospel, as taught by Jesus, the Anointed One, tells us we can't justify violence for any reason, not even when it's against our enemies. Here's what he says in Matthew. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, whereas I tell you not to oppose the wicked man by force. Rather, Whoever strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other as well. And to him who wishes to bring judgment against you, so that he may take away your tunic, give him your cloak as well. And whoever presses you into service for one mile, go with him for two. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not turn away from one who wishes to borrow from you. You have heard that has been said, You shall love your neighbor, and you shall hate your enemy. Whereas I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In this way you may become sons of your Father in the heavens, for He makes His Son to rise on the wicked and the good, and sends rain upon the just and the unjust. That's Matthew 5, 38-45. So with this in mind, how should the Orthodox respond to the news about Hagia Sophia in light of the Gospel? How should we walk the way as we get closer to November and the presidential election? Folks, let's get real. This is where the rubber meets the road. Paul tells us that as Christians, we've been baptized into the anointed, and thus we have clothed ourselves in the anointed. This means that the true intent of the law has been revealed to us. We now know that human culture and societies have as its foundation, a tendency towards violence. Because we know this, we are now able to break free of this violent cycle and ensure peace by loving our neighbors and enemies instead. So if we want to be free of the custodial guide, we need to start walking the way. This has been The Way with Father Dustin Lyon, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network.